it's where we find this, this statement, mind your own business. It's referring only to one particular instruction from Paul. We will use this, uh, this phrase as kind of a theme for the whole text as we look at the text. And um, let's think of it not so much in terms of mind your own business as in stay out of my business, but rather we look at it in terms of minding your business. In, 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 in other words, paying attention to what we're doing. So don't just ignore the things that Paul is addressing here, but pay attention to them. Take them to heart. Think about how they affect our lives. Um, if, you, if you do read this in the NIV, you might notice, uh, in particular, maybe other translations are the same way, you might notice three paragraphs. And we can kind of think of that as uh, three different parts that we might look at in this text. The first part is a general instruction to, in a sense, mind your business, pay attention to your actions and what you do. Um, the second has some specific examples that were particularly important in that church and in that community, but certainly apply to us as well, and also have broader implications. The third part shifts to a different type of example and reiterates the encouragement that has begun at the beginning of the text. So, as we read the text today, listen for what type of business in our lives Paul is wanting us to pay attention to and how he calls attention to it. So that's what we're going to be looking for in the text this morning. So, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 to 12 is our text. I'll invite you to stand as I read that, as you are able. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 to 12. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus, to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins and we told, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit." Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other, and in fact you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your life, daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word to us, this guiding word, and uh, as we consider what that has for our lives and how we are to live, and uh, as we also think about what you have given us as we search for uh, the gospel message here, the good news that you have for us. Guide us and uh, guide our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Invite any kids to come up that want to. Oh, slow, slow. We don't need to run. <laughs> it's 
plenty of space for everybody. Anybody, um, does anybody here have a chore that you're supposed to do at home? Does you, do your parents give you anything to do? Maybe, maybe they tell you things to do, they just don't call it a chore, right? Do you ever have to do anything, picking up toys or anything like that? Never? Yeah, you do that sometimes? Yeah, you, yeah, you have to do that. Your parents ask you to do that. Well, do you enjoy doing those things that are kind of like work, like doing a chore or doing picking up toys or whatever it is? You, you enjoy it? Oh, well, good, good. You get done enjoy it. If I asked your parents if you enjoy it, would they tell me, yes, Ezra really likes, and likes picking up toys? <laughs> well, hey, maybe we'll have to find out later. If you do, great. <laughs> um, well, sometimes chores are not very fun, but they are very good for us, right? Um, for one thing, if we don't do work, and uh, especially around the house, if we don't keep things kind of neat, what happens? What happens if we don't clean up? The house might break, yeah, in, in certain things. Probably not from the toys being out, but maybe some other things. If we don't ca- take care of them, we might have big problems, yeah. Can I, can I step on something? Like, what if oh. you have, like, what if you, there's, like, a toy nail that's really hard that you use from the set, and you put it away? Yeah, and you might step on something and get hurt. Yeah, if there's something that's sharp, you might step on and get hurt, Yeah. Yeah, the middle of night, you get up, you can't see. Oh, you trip on it, yeah, and you break everything then in the middle of the night because you can't see it. Yeah, yeah, so even these things that are given, that they seem like work, they seem like hard things to do. We don't always want to do them well um, necessarily, but they are, it's a gift to us, actually, that God gives us that we can do that. We can take care of things, we can do the work that he has given us, and we can do it well. And that's what he's asking uh, us to do, and that's what we find God encouraging us to do. And he gives us his Holy Spirit to help to do that as well. And that's how he helps us to do that. So here's what I have for you guys today. This is, uh, what's he doing? Do you guys see what he's doing? What is he doing? I'm doing chores. Yeah, it's kind of like a chore there. What's he picking up? Looks like he's picking up garbage with a stick there. Maybe he's going around collecting it in the garbage bag there. Yeah. So uh, you can think about that as you go and listen to how God helps us to do well what he wants us to do. Okay, thanks for coming up, guys. We got enough there? (laughs) We got a collection of markers that came up. Might take a little time to get those back again. You didn't get one. Who has an extra one? Jonah's got an extra one. (laughs) Oh, you got one there. Okay, great. All right. Well, if you remember from the last couple of weeks, we've learned that this letter uh, is written to a church that was founded with only a few weeks of instruction. Paul and his companions, Silas and Timothy, were there for a few weeks And then they got chased away, basically. The first part of this letter is very encouraging. It's got an encouraging sound to it and theme. Paul thanks God for how he has heard that the Thessalonians have been following the example that they set, that Paul and his companions set when they were there. Oh, they got it all wrapped up. Okay. He demonstrates, Paul demonstrates his care for them and notices how 
God's word has been working in them, even though they didn't have much time to hear it. But his word has been working, and he's encouraged by that, and he's encouraging them. And that's what we heard about last week. He was, Paul was concerned for them with how little time they had for instruction before he had to leave, get out of there. And so he is encouraged by the report that he hears from, as Timothy, uh, that was with him, went to find out and came back and said, yeah, they're doing, they're doing really well. I think as we look at this verse in that context, or uh, this um, look at this text in that context, it's very fitting for our congregation as well. Uh, and that's not to say that most of us in our congregation here are new to the faith and only have had a few weeks of instruction. Um, you know, many, many here have been a part of that hearing the word of God for, for our whole lives. And so that's for, for many, that's the case. Um, but in this sense, this is where I see this fitting. If we were to give a report from this congregation to someone who has, has a heart for it, you know, but is distant. So maybe a former pastor, one who's not still here, uh, but one who's, you know, somewhere else and is, is, has a heart for this congregation. You know, I think the report would be good as far as the, you know, the spirit of encouragement and of love for one another are concerned. The report going out from here to someone who cares about this congregation would be good. So in that sense, I think we find ourselves in a very similar situation to this church in Thessalonica. Paul wants to encourage that, and he wants it to go even deeper. He has a few things that he wants to address for their situation in particular. Before he does that, though, he has a general statement that he wants to give them. So after all this encouragement he's giving them, he says this, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As, in fact, you are living. We might notice here that he talks about pleasing God. I think in our understanding that we cannot do anything to earn God's favor, to earn salvation, we get a little nervous about talking about pleasing God, of our actions pleasing God. You know, we, 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 we might be a little nervous about that. And that's understandable because we don't want to start to think that we can actually earn our way into God's favor, you know, into heaven in a sense. But I think we can also relax a little bit with those worries. After all, Paul is the one who teaches so strongly that there is nothing that we can do to earn God's favor. So as that is so clearly true in his teaching, it's also true that our actions themselves The actions we can judge as being either pleasing or not pleasing to God, to the extent that they follow or don't follow His Word. In this sense, then, we might say that we want our actions to be pleasing to God, not to earn His favor, but because we have it, if we are trusting in His forgiveness. We have His favor, and we want our actions to line up with that. And as Paul has recognized the pleasing actions of these believers and encourages more, so we too, in recognizing the pleasing actions that we see of those in our congregation here, we continue with this encouragement as well. As Paul gives it to them, we receive encouragement to build on that. Paul says this, Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this, more and more. 
What, what he's saying is this. Don't simply be satisfied with where you are. Continue to improve your actions. Mind your business, right? Mind your business. Reflect on your actions. Reflect on the effect that they have with others. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus, Paul says. We talked about a few times over the last couple, uh, the last few months, the uses of God's law, the uses of the law. One of those uses is that it keeps us from doing wrong. It's a curb. We see this when there are consequences. We don't want the consequences, so we don't do the bad actions. That's one use of the law, when it's tied to consequences. Another use is to show us our wrong, to show us our sin and our need for forgiveness. It shows us that, and we see it, and uh, we can turn to God and repent of our actions and uh, receive his forgiveness. A third use is guiding us in good actions. Now, there there are some people who, in order to not lose or diminish the second use of the law, in, in other words, showing us our need for forgiveness, they're nervous about this third use of the law because they feel like it might turn us into people who just actually really do think that we can please God with our actions in, and earn favor from Him. And uh, so they almost feel like it isn't necessary to use the, to talk about God's law in that way. But Paul and the other New Testament writers and Jesus himself, um, they give us instructions. They give us, in a sense, law in this way, guiding us in good behavior. Paul has passed those on to us through his teaching. He's, and, he, and he passed those on to those that he was teaching then as well. And so now we get to some of the specifics from the situation of the Thessalonians. The first comment here, again, is general, but it's leading to, up to some specific things that he's getting to. The first comment is this. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. What does this mean, to be sanctified? Well, sanctified, that word, sanctified, the word saint, that the, the, the other words that are related to that, um, also the word holy, the word hallowed from, from the Lord's Prayer. We say, hallowed be thy name. These come to English from two different language sources, and so they, they're different, and yet they come from the same idea. Uh, it's hard to nail down one particular meaning to this group of words, but it's along the lines of being separate, of being special, of being set apart. So God, God is holy, not as if there's a way that he could not be holy or be separate or different, but God is holy in a particular way. And we are holy, sanctified, set apart in our connection with him for those who are trusting in him. Um, so, so we are holy in that sense. Paul says, it is God's will that we would be sanctified. Now, we can see being sanctified in two different ways. There are two ways that we can use that word. One is an objective statement about us that happens along with, as we, as we call it, being justified. So, you know, these are, we're using these big theological words here, but we might be familiar with them. But, um, so justified is, that, is that, uh, st- that condition of being, in a sense, legally in good standing before God. Sanctified 
has a, a sense of being set apart for God. And these go together in a way. So, in other words, when we are, through faith, trusting in God's word, we are made right before God. He sets us apart for him. And so, in that sense, we are sanctified. We are different, in a way, than what we were before or, or those who are around us who are not trusting in God's word. We are different. The other way, and how this is often understood, and is related to our actions, as they become, hopefully, more and more in line with God's will. So that may be where we most often think about being sanctified, is a, is a, is a process that is happening within us, as our actions become more like what God wants. And that's really what Paul is getting at here. Now, it's true in a general way, but Paul has some specific words for the Thessalonians, and, and we can learn from them as well, as we think about the instruction that he was giving to them. Here is a particular way that they should be sanctified. This is what he says. You should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body, in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Now, the believers in this congregation that came out of a Jewish background would have a high view of marriage and of monogamy, and so they would not necessarily struggle with this uh, teaching as much as those who came out of a pagan background uh, who, on the, who, on the other hand, would have had a much different view of sexuality. Now, the particulars would have been different back then, but we do kind of see a, a, a similar point of view in our culture today. A common view today would be, if it feels good, do it. Personal enjoyment is the top priority. There is no sense in our culture that sexual activity should be reserved for a lifelong marriage commitment between a man and a woman. But Paul says clearly, do not give in to these passions. Control your body. Mind your business, in a sense. Pay attention to your actions. This particular area is uh, important instruction for us living today. So too is the broader implication of this. So as we go beyond that one particular topic, we broaden it out. And we can see uh, a, a, something that is, is important for us, even if that one particular area is not particularly applicable. As in Paul's day, today also this is just one example of an area where God calls us to control our self-centered desires. In particular, where we find those desires to be self-serving and sinful, God is calling us to control ourselves. To mind our business. Not only for our own benefit, for, our, for ourselves, for our own actions, but because our actions impact others. Paul continues and says, And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Now, whether this, you know, there's some, some question of whether he's still talking about the same topic or if he's switched to a different example. But whether this is referring still to sexual activity that may harm a brother or sister in Christ, or whether he's switching to a different example such as business dealings and, you know, don't take advantage of others, other brothers or sisters in Christ, the result is the same. The idea is the same here. Our actions impact others around us. 
And God will hold us accountable. The Lord, Paul says, will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. Here, Paul summarizes now concisely what he's really getting at. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. It can be really easy to dismiss sin in our lives of whatever sort it is, because we recognize that our sins are paid for on Jesus' cross. He took the penalty for those sins. Those sins are punished in that way. And so we don't have to worry about the eternal consequences. Jesus has taken those. And we know that no amount of good behavior will earn us anything before God. So it can be easy to dismiss our sinful, rebellious acts and simply say, well, God forgives. And maybe we don't dismiss it in that kind of a lighthearted way, but really that's what we're saying. We might be sorry for our actions, but still say, well, God forgives. So maybe I don't need to worry about it. We might even acknowledge that it's wrong, that our actions are wrong, but just say, well, I'm weak. I can't help myself. It's not that bad. And after all, God forgives. But, but Paul says this is unacceptable. And so he says this, Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, if we're looking at, you know, if you're looking at the back of your bulletin and you're filling in things under, you know, fallen condition, focus, law, what's wrong with the world, and good news, gospel, what God has done to fix what's wrong, you, you probably can notice there's a lot that could go under this fallen condition focus, right? Have we had anything that's going under our, our good news here? You know, what God has done to fix this. Well, um, you know, we find that law. There's a lot of urging to act well, to have good behavior. Now, we don't want to leave the gospel behind here, the good news. And in fact, we do find good news and gospel in what we have in our text here. First of all, we know what Paul says about affecting others. Let's look at it this way. If our actions affect others, it's also true that their actions affect us, right? And if we can affect somebody else negatively by our actions, they also can affect us negatively by their actions. And so mutually living good lives is a gift from God so that all of us can have a better experience. So in that sense, there is good news in that sense, although, you know, there's a little bit of a instruction for us, so we need to be careful there. But on top of that, in the midst of describing how rejecting the instruction we find in Scripture means that we're rejecting God, Paul reminds us that God has given us His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who is God, is who we can lean on to act in a sanctified way. That is God's gift to us. That is good news. Right in here. Paul doesn't dwell on that in many words in this particular place, but that is good news. As we're called and encouraged to remember the severity of our selfish actions and even our selfish thoughts, it's good to remember that we can call on the Holy Spirit to help us change our behavior. Paul now returns to a more broad view of this idea of living well. 
he returns to the foundational encouragement that he sees already in the Thessalonians. He says this, Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, to love each other. So he highlighted that already in this letter. He's written a lot about that. These believers have been caring for each other. There is a good foundation in their love for one another. And so, and he says this, he continues, And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. As Thessalonica was a large trading city, the love for other believers in other parts of the larger province of Macedonia around it could have been seen by sending aid to others that needed it in other parts of the province. It could also have been seen very likely in the fact that believers from other parts of Macedonia would have been traveling to Thessalonica on business because of being a large city. And so they could have encountered these Christians and certainly been given aid to them in this larger city. It would have been somebody who would have been there as a connecting point in that city. So Paul begins from this place of already seeing loving and caring actions. As I said before, we can see this in our own congregation as well. And he encourages a relentless desire to continue in that. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, do so more and more. He said this at the beginning of what we read today. Do this more and more. I think of this in some ways like, you know, cleaning up or fixing part of the house. Maybe you've had this experience where you just finished painting a room or part of a room or, or something like that. You get done and you look at a job well done and you're satisfied with it and you think, oh, that looks good. I, I'm glad we painted that. It looks so good. And then, uh, and then you look around and uh, you notice, uh, hmm, well, now, now the doors, the doors kind of look a bit scratched up. And, uh, you know, earlier you had thought they looked just fine. But now that you finish this, this good work, you might think, oh, that looks like it could use some work as well. And it might motivate you to work on that. Sometimes, you know, in that type of thing, it's for a later day. You don't do it right away. I've had some times where I've been working on a particular job where I just keep adding little bits to it. And maybe you've had that experience as well, where you say, oh, I'm almost done. Oh, oh, but, well, I, okay, I could do a little bit over here, and that would look a little bit better. And so you work over there, and you think, oh, well, maybe, okay, I could do a little bit over here. And, and uh, it, you know, it gets later and later before stopping that job. You know that, that type of experience, that's the attitude that Paul wants to encourage in the lives of the Thessalonians and in our lives as well. And here Paul gets a little bit specific. And, and this is where our sermon title comes from. He says, and it, so um, do this more and more and make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business, work with your hands, just as we told you. Now, this is not highly stressed here in this letter, but uh, by the time Paul writes a second letter to the, Thessalonian, this, to the Thessalonians, it appears this is more full-blown, where some had stopped working, maybe in anticipation of Jesus coming back soon and not thinking that there was a need to look for the future, or maybe for some it was just an excuse uh, for laziness. Um, like I said, he's not highly emphasizing that here, but this idea was likely starting to be present. Um, 
so, so of, of not working. And so Paul is encouraging them to be working. Don't be a troublemaker. Don't be a rabble rouser. Live a quiet, non-disruptive life, minding your own business, working with your hands, whatever God has given you to do. And there are two results that Paul sees from this. He, see, he says, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Provision for our daily needs so we're not overly dependent on others, and a good reputation so that what God has given us would reflect well to others. These are also God's gifts to us. This is good news for us. These are gifts that God gives as He guides us in good behavior, in following Him. As I said, there is a lot of instruction here. And I think we could say in a simple way that part of the good news that we can find here is maybe not spelled out in this text, but we can find it. And that is that God forgives when we don't live up to this standard. It's true, he does. But that is somewhat simplistic as well. What's highlighted more in this text is that God's desire for us is that our our lives be a reflection of who he is. And he has given us his Holy Spirit to guide us in that. Mind your own business. As we think about that, we thank God for the gift that He has given us of the truth of His Word. The guidance of what it means to live a good life. We are thankful for that to us. We are thankful for the life that Jesus lived on our behalf, both the perfect life in our place And also, as an example to us, we're thankful for the life of Paul and other teachers, the lives of others, maybe in our own lives, that come to mind. Uh, Some that we may not know personally, that we just hear their teaching, but some that we know personally as well, that have set an example so that we also can live a good life. We thank God for His gift of the Holy Spirit, who guides us in how we live. We thank God for the gift of the peace that comes when we do live a good life. You know, kind of that general, generally peaceful relationships that come when we are living as he would have us to. And we also thank God for his forgiveness, knowing that we live in a broken world. And either our actions or those of others can have terrible effects on our lives. And as we are thankful to God for all of these things, we ask God, we ask the Holy Spirit to sanctify us, to guide us in truth so that our lives reflect God well and so that we can live quiet, peaceful lives, minding our business well as he would have us to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word to us today. Thank you that even though there's a lot of hard teaching in here and maybe reflecting on our own lives, we find places where (coughs) where we could do better. Where, where our actions maybe don't please you, but, but we, could, we could change and they could please you. And so we thank you that even though we acknowledge that we can't do that on our own, we thank you that we do have the gift of the Holy Spirit who can give us the ability to do that, to act well, even where it is difficult. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for the forgiveness that comes when we don't act well. And uh, as we think about the need to continually receive that, as we prepare in a few moments to receive communion and and partake in that together. We thank you that that is a reminder 
that you are giving us both the forgiveness of sins and your Holy Spirit to guide us in our lives. We pray that this would have an impact on our lives and how we live for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.